you guys bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, I thank you that we can sing, No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price that has been paid. I pray that, Lord, that would comfort us. We don't, any of us know our fate. We don't know the next 10 minutes, let alone the next 10 years. But as Christians, we know that our future is certain. The price has been paid for our sins. We have been released from the penalty of sin. Even ongoing sin. Future sins. And past sins, Lord. And we thank you for that because of Jesus. And I pray that our hearts would just glory in that. Boast in that today. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me as I share from your word, help it to be clear and helpful to your people. And I pray that you would be with our ears, help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible next to you on the pew, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we are going to be working through the last few verses of 1 Corinthians 4. This is the last sermon in Corinthians for a while. Next week, we're going to be turning our minds and hearts to the Advent season. If you follow the official church calendar, uh, today is the first day of Advent. But I really wanted to finish 1 Corinthians 4 uh, before we started into Advent. So the Advent series that we're going to be doing starting next week is we're, we're going to trace the theme, the biblical theme of God with us. God's desire to be with his people that starts in the Garden of Eden. God wants a relationship with humans. And it climaxes with Jesus' coming to be with us in the flesh. So this week, the sermon is a wrap-up of chapter 4. If you remember last week, for those of you who were here, um, Paul, at the very end of our section in Corinthians last week, Paul gets really sharp and even sarcastic in his letter with the Corinthians, criticizing their arrogant attitudes and their worldly ways. Now, as he is going to talk in our, the verses we're looking at, verses 14 to 21, he's going to explain to them, you, you know why I was so sharp with you in the words that I was writing? And he, he explains. So I'm going to read those words for you. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21. He says, I'm writing this, these harsh words, in all of chapters 1 to 4, and the whole letter, really, not to shame you, but to warn you, as my dear, or your translation might have, it's actually, it's literally beloved, as my loved children. Verse 15, even if you had 10,000 guardians, like a babysitter. In Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. In other words, I don't have different ways of acting in different churches. This is the Christian life for all places. Some of you have become arrogant, he says, 
as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For God's kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come with love and a gentle spirit? So, the main thing that Paul is doing here in these verses is he's giving like a wrap-up summary for what he's been saying and his reason, his motives for saying it. He's also in the process of transitioning here in these verses. This is kind of like a hinge verse. You know what a hinge does? It shifts a door from one position to another. This this is kind of a shifting passage. Paul is about to shift to in chapter 5 to some even more serious reports that he has from the Corinthians. Reports about sin that they're tolerating in their midst that is very serious stuff. They're becoming the talk of the town, and it's not because they love one another. It's because they are engaged in some pretty horrifying things. And so... He's writing this to warn them, and he's going to be coming, right? So that's what he's explaining in this, this, this little section that we're looking at. He wants them to put things in order before he comes, or it's not going to be a pleasant visit for everyone involved. It'll be like if he comes and things are still chaotic, like when he's writing this letter, it's going to be like a father who comes home from a weekend away and drives up to catch his sons in the minivan doing donuts in the front yard, right? And having the time of their lives. And he shows up and is that, that's not going to be fun for anyone, right? Um, sons must be trained not to do such things. That hurts people at the end of the day because somebody's got to clean up that mess. And they could get hurt doing it. The house could get hurt. Someone else, I mean, this is not the way we live. And so Paul is saying, I'm writing this letter so that you can repent now so that I don't drive up and find you in the midst of all this craziness. So this morning we're going to talk about four things that we see in this passage. Four things that we see about spiritual fathers. In verse 15, Paul tells the Corinthians he became their father through the gospel. In verse 17, you notice he calls a young man that he's not even related to, Timothy, his faithful son and beloved son. What, what's he talking about? What does Paul mean here? What, what can it mean for us? Well, there's going to be four things that I want to point out. First, spiritual fathers love. Second, spiritual fathers warn, like what Paul's doing here. Third, spiritual fathers set an example. And fourth, spiritual fathers lead in church discipline. So first, spiritual fathers love. When you lead someone to the Lord, maybe some of you have had the joy of doing that, leading someone to the Lord, to faith in Jesus for the first time. Or when you exert influence, spiritual influence on someone in any way. The Bible talks about this concept like the it, it calls it a spiritual fathering or even spiritual mothering in which in Titus chapter 2 older women are to teach younger women 
the way of the faith. One key mark of someone who is a spiritual spiritual father, someone who's exerting spiritual influence on someone younger in the faith, whether leading them to the Lord for the first time or coming alongside them and helping them in the faith, is the same one characteristic, a huge one, is one that marks our Heavenly Father in everything that He does. And it's love. God the Father loves. And earthly fathers, both spiritual and biological, are called <coughs> to love. If you look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, Paul writes to the Corinthians calling them the dear, literally it's beloved, children. If you want, you can turn to the last verse of the letter. Flip over. Notice how Paul ends that letter? Somebody read it for me. If, if, you, if you could, shout it out. 1 Corinthians 16, at the very end. What's the last verse? First one there. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Yeah. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Paul wants these people to know that he loves them. That's the final taste that they have in their mouth after reading this really rough letter. One of four letters that he writes them, actually, two of which we have. This church took significant amounts of Paul's time. These letters did not get written like Paul sat down one afternoon. No, like every word was thought out. It was written through a scribe who would write, and Paul would sign at the end, usually with his own hand. It took hours and hours to grasp these things, days on end. You couldn't just finish with a piece of paper and be like, I didn't like that, I'll erase it. No, no racing. You couldn't be like, you know, I'll finish with that, I'll I'll just get a new piece of paper, we'll rewrite that section. No, paper's really expensive. Like, this took tons of thought. Love is on every page. He loves them. He wouldn't be writing this huge letter if he didn't love them. He tells them in verse 15 that though they have thousands of guardians in Christ who come along, other leaders who babysit them for a time, Paul himself was the first one, and those with him, like Apollos. They are, you don't have many fathers, he said. There's a lot of leaders in Corinth. A lot of guardians, those who are supposed to be teaching you in the way of Christ, but you don't have many fathers. And the reason he's the father is he's the one who first planted the church there and led them to the Lord. And although the Apostle Paul was not the one who led Timothy, to faith in Jesus, we learn in um, Paul's letter to Timothy that Timothy's mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, led Timothy to the Lord. Paul took Timothy under his wing and became his father in a spiritual sense, so much so that here he calls him his beloved son in the faith in Christ, and he praises Timothy for his faithfulness. One thing that's really important to note here is that there, there may, and there probably was, a lot of people in Corinth who were biologically older than the Apostle Paul. But spiritually, they were what Paul referred to earlier in his letter, babes, infants in Christ. Sadly, Paul is writing to them saying, you should have been more mature than you are, but I still have to talk to you like infants. Some of you may have remembered that sermon from a few months ago. And yet, they still benefit from Paul's fatherhood of them in Christ. 
So as we think through the rest of the passage, as we think through the whole book of Corinthians, remember, Paul is writing with the posture of a loving father. He wants what's best for them. Everything he's doing is for their good. A father cares deeply about the well-being of his children. And as a spiritual father who loves the church, Paul is warning them. He warns them because he loves them. That's the second thing I want to point out this morning. Spiritual fathers warn. How many of you, how many of you like to be told that you're wrong? Not many of us, right? Um, when you tell a child they're in the wrong, or an adult, we usually bristle a bit, even when we should listen. Or when you tell someone how to do something that they think they already know how to do, like, what's usually the response? I know that. I know how to do it. I've been there. I've seen that. I've done that before. It takes humility to receive information from others that you already know quietly and gratefully. Because what that says is I really actually don't know everything. We're not all sufficient. We're not all knowing. We're not all wise. We're not God. We're not morally perfect. We make mistakes. We need to be taught. We need to be trained. We need to be warned of danger. Sometimes, though, when we're warned of danger, it can feel like we're being shamed. The dad yells, look out! And the daughter says, I knew that. I saw that coming. What, do you think I'm stupid? But loving parents, parents who truly love their children, they'll push through the risk of warnings being perceived as shame. And they continue to warn because they love their children and they don't want them to get hurt. I'll risk embarrassing you to save your life. Right? That's kind of what's going on. Like They'll push through, well, I just don't want to hurt their feelings or tell them they're wrong. You know what? If it's serious enough, if it's dangerous to their souls, if it's dangerous to their life, physically, biologically, you push through that. And you warn them. That's why Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians. Imagine, yeah, it's like leading up to this point, the Corinthians have been like babies fighting over their favorite babysitters, the different Christian teachers that they have, the guardians. And now in this letter, their spiritual daddy shows up and he warns them to stop. Stop fighting about your favorite babysitters. Because some of your babysitters are letting you do things that are downright horrible and dishonoring to Jesus. He's going to visit soon, and he's going to have to discipline them if they don't clean up their act. Right? In the next section of the letter, as I've already mentioned, we're going to see that these spiritual babes of Christ are not just fighting over who's got their favorite babysitter or whatever. They're, they're also putting some pretty awful things, sinful things, in their mouths to chew on. To keep that baby illustration going. And Paul, like any good parent, is going to show up and say, you need to spit that out. Or in the case of chapter 5, the church needs to spit a person out who has been rebelling against Jesus and bringing great shame on the name of Christ. Spit him out. Put him out of the church in the hopes, as a way of loving him even, that he would see, no, God's not okay with this. I need to repent. I need to change. 
that he might come back to Jesus. So Paul says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Good fathers warn the sons and daughters they love. Good friends warn them, warn people that they love as well. I mean, think about this. If we're riding together in a car and I accidentally turn down a one-way street, um, I hope you wouldn't respect my choice. Turn the wrong way down a one-way street, right? I hope you would warn me as a friend who loves me and push through the risk of me saying, oh, I know that. I know I made a mistake. No, I, I just wanted to make sure you knew. You, you, you know, Maybe you've been in that situation before, turning the wrong way on a, on a road and all of a sudden realizing everybody's coming at me. It's a scary feeling. Um, not good. I've been in that situation once. Okay, so the best of earthly fathers, the best spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith, they warn younger Christians, especially if they're in <coughs> positions. And here Paul's warning the Corinthians of the dangers in their way of living. But spiritual fathers don't just love their children by warning them, they also set an example for their children. That's the third thing to see in these verses. Spiritual fathers set an example. Fathers live a life worth imitating. Fathers model wisdom for their children. They model love for their children. Fathers model truth-telling for their children. And they do this because God, our Father, is the ultimate model. He tells his people, be holy for I am holy. And our Heavenly Father, who, cannot, who we cannot see, God, we can't see him, he's invisible. He didn't just teach us the right way to live or warn about sin through the prophets. No, he did more than that. He sent his own beloved son to become a human, to live among us, and to show us how God, the creator, would live as a human and to obtain forgiveness for our failings. That's why we're here today, because we've been forgiven by Jesus. Now, in these verses, we'll see that the apostle Paul, though he himself cannot be with the Corinthians in this moment in the flesh, he's going to do what God did. He's going to send his own beloved son in the faith, just as God the Father sent his son. Paul's going to send Timothy to set an example for the Corinthians of how he lives. See that there in verses 16 to 17? Paul writes this, I urge you to imitate me. Well, how are we going to do that, Paul? We can't see you. Ah, God, who says, imitate me, be holy as I am holy, God sent his beloved son. The word became flesh. The words of the prophets became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So Paul, like God, sends Timothy, his own son in the faith, setting a pattern of imitation. When the Corinthians see the way Timothy lives and try to follow Jesus the way Timothy follows Jesus, then they're copying Paul, who himself is copying Christ, who himself is a copy of the Father. And on this copying has gone for thousands of years as Christians have followed those who follow Jesus. That doesn't mean that the Corinthians were supposed to become carbon copies of Timothy, liking the same food as Timothy, drinking the same flavored tea as Timothy or whatever, wearing the same style sandals. Okay, sometimes you see religious movements that become like that. Everybody becomes carbon copies of the leader. And it's almost like personality disappears. 
they wear the same things, they dress the same, they start to talk the same way. That's a sign of unhealth. Truly. God created a beautiful difference in the family of Jesus, right? Different cultures, different ethnicities, different likes and dislikes, different personalities. And yet, what does love for God and following Jesus look like in each person with their uniqueness? There's, there's a lot of overlap as well. So it might, it looks, this, it, you know, love for Jesus, you might look different on the outside, but love for Jesus can be imitated no matter what you look like. Love for others, care for others, love of neighbor. So Paul wants his spiritual children to imitate him. There's one more thing in these verses I wanted to draw your attention to before I turn over to some practical application. Spiritual fathers lead in church discipline. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 18 to 21, Paul writes this. He says, Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. In other words, what's happening, it seems that the Corinthians when they heard that Timothy was coming and not Paul, it's like they breathed a sigh of relief, perhaps, here. And their, their chests are swelling with their own importance that would continue to be left unchecked by Paul and his fatherly hand of guidance and correction. They're like children who experience a rush of power when dad's not around. But Paul reassures them, I am coming. I am going to come. Listen to verse 19. I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. Notice quick there that the Apostle Paul doesn't even rest things in his own control. He rests them at the feet of the Lord. He says, if the Lord is willing, I'll come to you. He'll make his plans, but God is in control. It's the same way for us. You can make plans, but at the end of the day we say, if the Lord is willing. And Paul says, then I will find out not only these arrogant people and how they're talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What does Paul mean here? Well, remember in context that the Corinthians have been making a huge deal about how their teachers taught them. The different styles of teaching. And they're getting all puffed up about how their favorite teachers use words better than the other teacher. Man, these people, they really have it together more than this person. They're getting puffed up against words, about words. The message of the cross about Jesus is not mere words. It's power, real power, says Paul. That's what he means when he says the kingdom of God, God's rule through his Christ, his king, is not a matter of talk, but of power. Jesus is a real, real king, and he really rules over people's lives. It's just not a bunch of words. Jesus' power changes lives. It's at the heart of what Paul preaches. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, he says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But, listen, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, God's anointed king, God's power 
God rules on earth through his Messiah. And that is the powerful kingdom of God that Paul preaches. And whenever people bow to the Messiah, they bow to the power of God. God's spirit works in power whenever Jesus and his cross is preached. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 to 5. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 4 to 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, not just with mere talk that sounded like the wisdom of the age, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. He's like, I started talking about Jesus, and the Spirit powerfully transformed lives. And so Paul is coming soon to see, are these teachers in Corinth even teaching the same gospel about Jesus anymore? They've greatly exalted themselves and their teaching styles in his absence. They've amassed huge followings in the church, and now they're squabbling over who likes who better. The time for humility is at hand, says Paul. Not arrogance, not being puffed up. Repent soon, he says, for I'm coming to sort things out. Verse 21, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Now, we need to be a bit careful here. Paul is not advocating that if you consider yourself to be someone's spiritual father in the faith, then you have the right to beat them physically with a rod if, they feel they're, if you feel they're out of line. Right? I don't keep a rod back here. Okay, I'm the church planter of this church, and I can beat people that don't agree with me. <laughs> right? But this verse has been abused. Trust me. Okay? Paul doesn't mean that church pastors and leaders can beat up their church members, even verbally, if they're out of line. This is not advocating bullying. <coughs> We're going to see a great deal more about what Paul means and his heart in it. In chapters 5 and 6. Basically, he's telling the Corinthians, guys, you've got a choice. I'm your spiritual father. I, I have a burden, a great responsibility to see that you guys stay on the foundation I laid, which is Jesus. And that you don't drift from that foundation and from following Jesus. I'm an apostle of God. He said that he's still responsible for the oversight of the church to make sure they continue on in Christ. From some of the reports he's heard, there's leaders who are not building on this foundation. They're going off script. The babysitters are letting the kids get out of control. Okay? You ever had that happen? My poor parents, right? One time, years and years ago, they hired a, a babysitter who didn't know how to say no. And you put three Aubrey boys who say Oh, our mom lets us do this. And we were out of control. When mom got home, there was a fort and a huge mud pie, like basically right in our front yard. We turned the front yard, little front yard on Main Street, into a huge mud hole. Bricks everywhere from under the house. Just a disaster. Benjamin had bent, sorry, he had rubbed soap, I think it was him, or maybe it was Luke, rubbed soap all over the bathroom walls upstairs. 
Okay? It, I, I could go on. It was a nightmare that mom and dad, oh, somebody still had a poop in their diaper, right? The babysitter, the kids were out of control. This imagery is powerful. Paul is saying the guardians that you've had have let things go. They are not enforcing the rules of the Messiah, of Christ. And so they, they have relied on a bunch of talk. But when push comes to shove, they are not, they don't care whether the rule and reign of Jesus, the power of Jesus, is actually impacting your life at all. They can talk a good talk. They talk about the rules, but man, they're not living Christ. And so Paul says when he comes to visit them, what do they want when, the, when dad shows up? If they repent now, after reading his letter, he's not going to have to show up with the rod and start disciplining, kicking the man out who's sleeping with his stepmom. Or disciplining the people who are suing each other or sleeping with prostitutes. I mean, the Corinthians were into some really rough stuff. There's no meek and gentle way to go about discipline like that. The church would need a spanking of sorts for tolerating such sin. And the spanking would take the form of removing these people from their midst who don't want to change and repent. So Paul is saying, repent now before I have to come. And things are really hard. So in conclusion, we've seen four things. First, spiritual fathers love. Second, they warn. Third, they set an example. And fourth, they discipline. And, of, and all of this is, is ultimately a reflection of our Heavenly Father. God, the Father, is love. He loves us. He wants our best. He wants us as humans to flourish, not just in this life, this little blip called earth, but for eternity. And so because of this, he warns us. The Word of God is filled with warnings, warnings against greed and lust and pride and out-of-control anger. Warnings against drunkenness and adultery and love of money. Warnings against lying and against stealing and against laziness and envy. Warnings about the consequences of all these things because God is love. Good fathers warn their children. Good fathers set an example. Our own Heavenly Father set an example by sending Jesus to live as a perfect human being in our midst to die for our sins and paul himself as we've seen imitates the father in this by sending his own dear spiritual son in the faith a young man named timothy to live amongst the corinthians for a season to say watch me watch how i live follow me as i follow christ and just as our heavenly father disciplines those he loves <coughs> we can read about that in multiple places in the bible hebrews chapter 12 talks about that a lot so Paul is going to discipline the church. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. We'll talk a lot more about church discipline in the, in the new year when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. How the family of Jesus protects the name of Jesus and clarifies what following Jesus is like. And how the church of Jesus deals with sin. So as I was thinking of how to apply this passage specifically to us, uh, many of us who are not men, 
some of us who are not biological fathers, I want to encourage you to consider the concept of spiritual parenting. If you're older and further along in the faith, you walked with Jesus for a while, God would have you father or mother those who are younger in the faith. This means walking with a younger Christian, loving them, warning them, setting an example for them. doesn't mean you're perfect. And he said, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen that. Don't walk there. It means influencing them towards Christ. If there's someone you know that you can influence in a motherly way or in a fatherly way through Jesus, for Jesus, could be someone you that doesn't know Jesus and you want to see the new birth happen in their life and in their heart and become their father through the gospel or their mother through the gospel. Not in a possessive way, but in a powerful, transformative way as God uses you in their life. Is there someone you know that you can turn to to father or to mother you in the faith, to influence you towards Jesus? That's one key way that maturity happens in the body of Christ through spiritual parenting. I'm so grateful for the many men in my life who have fathered me in the faith and still do in various areas, right? Spiritual parenting, spiritual fathering, you know, different men have different strengths. Not, not everyone, uh, you know, as, as one, one thing you realize, right, you're, as, a, as a kid, your dad doesn't have everything perfect. And, and, and your dad influences you for a season, and then other men come and influence you. And in the church, that can be a beautiful thing, right? As some of other men who are strong, where your dad was weak, strengthen you there, encourage you there, challenge you there. And, um, man, it, it can be a beautiful thing in the body of Christ, spiritual parenting spiritual influence for our good. I just want to close, though, talking to those of us who are biological fathers, who have kids, whether grown or young. First, um, I, I think we can use these verses as a pattern for our own fathering, okay, for our own parenting. First, fathers, love your children. I'm preaching myself here, too, right? In everything, love. Now most parents, I think, would say, oh, I love my kids. Yet in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul the Apostle defines what love means. Love is patient with children. Love is kind to children. Love does not envy the success of grown children. Love does not boast. Love is not proud and arrogant towards children, saying, how could you do that? I would never have been so stupid. No, love knows. Love remembers we are but dust. Love is compassionate. Love is not easily angered by children flying off the handle. The slightest provocation with annoyance and sarcasm. Love does not delight in evil in children or humor the sins of children, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects children, teaches them to trust Love always hopes in the work of God in children. We don't put our hope ultimately in them, 
but that God is at work. God is not done. We always hope. Love perseveres. Love does not give up. Fathers and mothers love. Paul loved the Corinthians. And warn. True love warns children about sin and its consequences. We talk about it. Explain the reasons why things are wrong. This is so important, guys. Otherwise, your kids will walk away thinking the Bible is just a rule book of arbitrary rules. The Bible warns and it gives reasons. The Bible says drunkenness is bad, right? So it's bad. So don't be drunk, because drunk is bad, right? No, we want to probe deeper. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Those things are in contrast. You're controlled by one thing or the other. Why is drunkenness wrong? It's because it hurts people. It erodes self-control. It stops love of others. It makes us less human and more like animals. More beast-like. It erodes self-control in every area. Warn. Warn gently. Warn patiently. Warn constantly. And give reasons. Explain the logic. <coughs> Third, set an example. Kids are always watching, right? For better or for worse. They see the inconsistencies and the failures as well as faithfulness and repentance. One of the most profound, I've shared this with many of you before, one of the most profound in things that impacted me about my father growing up is his repentance. His willingness to ask for forgiveness when he was wrong. And that was a beautiful thing to see. What are our kids seeing in our lives? How are they processing what they see? And fourth and finally, love disciplines. Love doesn't let sin go unchecked. Love seeks to wade in and say, stop. And that can be exhausting. It can be costly and painful. Writing 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians was not fun for Paul, I'm sure. This was not an enjoyable letter to write, and he wrote four of them. And yet, even our Heavenly Father disciplines and trains us for our good, introducing temporary pain and trials and hardships into our life to throw us back on Him and into the path of wisdom and eternal life. The final thing I just want to say is wherever you're at in your Christian life, all of us are being parented daily by the one that we pray to when we say, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father is in heaven. He loves us so much that he sent us a son to imitate. A son to rule over us. To be our king and our rescuer, Jesus. God the Father always has our best in mind. And we can trust him. And we can pray to him as we're about to pray now. Would you bow your Heads with me and let's pray to the Father. Lord, I thank you that we can call you Father. You are more than a king. You are more than a judge. You are more than a Lord. You're a Father. And I thank you so much for that. That in Christ Jesus, you are our Father. And we are your beloved sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord, that in every sphere of life, you would help us to grow in imitating you, in being father-like, and even, yes, 
mother-like as you compare yourself even to a mother hen nurturing your children. Lord, I just pray that we would be father-like in our love for others, influencing people and being influenced towards Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name.